Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Today we're going to be talking about um, dealing with unreachable destinations, unrealized dreams, goals that we never seem to get closer to, um, things that we felt called to that never really happened in our lives. Um, and it happens in different ways. It could be like um, people that you intended to marry, marry someone else and, and, and you are left sort of going, God, that wasn't, wasn't that your plan for me? Or, or something that you dreamed of doing and, and, and the years have gone past and it never happens and, and you're left wondering, God, is this, did I miss something here? It could be pain that you've, you've, has occurred in your life that is both maybe physically and emotionally that it leaves you unable to deal with well, going in the direction that you thought that God wanted you to go. An injury or an illness takes a hold of your life and all of a sudden the things that you have been dreaming for for, for years, uh, you go, I'm going to have to settle for something less. This is a hard thing because especially as we finish this series, we often talk about like, uh, you want to go out on a bang when you want to finish like, yeah, you can do it team. You can win this. And, and, and yeah, we can, we can win. We want to go that way. And, and today I want to talk about reaching or not reaching the, the destinations and the goals that maybe have grabbed onto our hearts and onto our minds. And the hard thing is sometimes it's not our fault. Something happens in our life. You, you may have been in a marriage and someone leaves you or, or again, that illness grabs a hold of you and, and all of a sudden you are unable to pursue that. Your family does not turn out the way that you imagined or, or you lose that job that was everything to you and you go, God, is this, is this, is this what I was meant to be doing? Because if so, what are you doing? Sometimes it is our fault. Not all the time, sometimes it is our fault. We either live a life of continual disobedience to God and we expect to end up where, where we wanted to end up and all of a sudden we don't end up there. We see that through the Bible numerous times. One of the, the biggest ones was the, the, the first generation of Israelites, the, the Israelites who left as a nation from, from, from Egypt and under the protection and, and, the, and the provision and the victory of God, they left that country and they got to the promised land and they became scared. And in their lack of faith and their disobedience, God said, you are going to walk the desert for 40 years. And all of a sudden, the promised land became an unreachable destination for them. That was their fault. That was their choice. But it's a hard thing to deal with and a hard thing for us to understand. Back in 2003... Um, there was a young lady by the name of Bethany Hamilton. Some of you may know that name. She was into surfing, um, quite, quite a skilled surfer and, um, like something that like I have not mastered the art of. I sort of surf on the bottom of the, of the ocean, like as a rock. Um, and she was very good at the top. Anyway, one day she's out for a surf. Um, I believe it was a, a tiger shark has basically come along and bitten most of her left arm off. In a moment, her dreams of being a professional surfer, her dreams of, of, of doing this as a job, living out on the water, get thrown into question. 
maybe that first instance, all of a sudden her dreams aren't even going that far because she's hoping that she's going to survive. But she does survive and there's a movie out called Soul Surfer that talks about her story and, and eventually she does get back on the board. Eventually she does get back surfing again, but not in the same capacity that she was. But in the middle of this journey to get back to that point, she realizes that she can live her life in such a way that makes a difference to other people more than her surfing ever could. And she goes on a mission trips and she realizes the difference she can make for those young children that she works with. And she realizes she can live a life in a different way. And so even though there was a dream, an, unre- an unreachable destination for her, God did not waste her life. God did not waste her experience. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because we get to the point that sometimes we just don't make it to where God, well, where we think God wants us to be. I think that's an important thing. Like, because sometimes God wants us to make it and we just don't take the necessary steps, much like the Israelites. Sometimes we, we think God wants us to do something that God never intended us to do. Now, some of you may enjoy singing at home in the shower and you think, in the shower, I sound brilliant. And something happens between the walls of the shower and putting a microphone in front of my face. And we're going, Tony, what are you doing in this microphone? I sound brilliant at home, but all of a sudden I sound terrible here. Okay, it may be you. It could be all our ears, but it could be you. But that may not be where God is calling you. As much as you may want that, as much as you believe that is what God has a dream for you and, and you want to be up here sort of sort of rocking it out and, and, and singing your praise to God and, 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 and filling the church, not emptying it, it may not be something that is going to be happening for us. And sometimes what we believe is not what God is wanting to say to us. So what do you do when you can't reach your destination? What do you do in that situation? Because we've actually got a few different options here. Because sometimes we go, I want to be just like that person in church or I want to be like that person I see as a Christian at school or in my workplace. I want to be exactly like them. And it just doesn't happen. And so our options are to say, well, God, I tried to give it a go. I'm going to give up and it's going to do the bare minimum or I'm going to turn and walk away from you altogether or I'm going to be angry with you. We've got lots of different options at this point. But initially, the healthy way of doing this is you, you get heartsick. When you get heartsick, you either stay there and you get bitter or you work at it and you get better. As a 17-year-old, Joseph had all the dreams in the world. He literally dreamt that one day he would rule over his fathers and his brothers. And moments later in his story, he is in a pit. He then becomes a slave. He then is sold into into an Egyptian household. He is the lowest of the low. God, you said I was going to rule over my fathers and my brothers. At that point in time, we could have seen Joseph just give up on God. But we see in his life an example because even though he, he did not know what God was doing, I'm no longer in the land that God wanted me to be and I'm no longer even in vicinity of my family. God, you said this was the dream for me. He kept on being faithful to God. When he was tempted, he was faithful to God. When he was in prison, he was faithful to God. When he was forgotten, 
he was faithful to God. But do you think there were times he got heartsick? I bet there was. Sometimes we read through the Bible and we, we read the story of years for Joseph. And we don't see Joseph whinging or complaining or anything like that. And we go, oh, it's just a few weeks. It's just like a little holiday. For some of us, we can't get through a week without whinging. I've, I've put that to you as a challenge. Like, this is a whinge-free week. You can't whinge at all. Some of you will break it before you go home. Like, we, we got into a habit of being uh, people, even as Christians, where we complain about our lot in life. A little bit of perspective. We go, oh, oh, it's so hard living in Australia. All these politicians. It's so hard. I've got cars. I've got houses. I've got food in my fridge. I've got one or more TVs. I've got internet. I've got phone. Life is terrible. Yeah, that's, we whinge about, well, about all the good stuff we've got. And we miss it. But Joseph, who was definitely in a difficult position, he would have been heartsick. I'm sure he asked the question more than once, God, was that dream, did I make that up or was that dream from you? Was, was it, is it going to come true or is it, do I need to give it up? He could have got bitter, but he chose to get better. The apostle Paul found himself with a physical disease and he called it his thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was a handicap that severely limited him. Some believe he had poor eyesight. Uh, in fact, one of the letters he wrote, his greeting at the end, he says, I'll see, I've written this in my own hand. And when you look at the manuscript, it's a lot bigger because he couldn't write it small because he couldn't see what he was writing. So this is an assumption of, um, so he was struggling to read and his whole life revolved around communicating and writing and preaching. Something that sort of, took away some of his ability to do this. Paul despaired over it. He, he was heart sick. And then there was Jesus. The Bible says on the night before he was crucified, he went to the garden and he prayed about the kind of death he was facing. Again, sometimes we, we think we need to pray in obedience that we do things like willingly and joyfully. God, oh yes, I'm going to joyfully go and obey you and I'm going to do this and I'm going to put the other people to shame in my, in my obedience. How did Jesus pray that night? God, if you can take this cup away from me, please do it, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew that what was coming. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to, it was not going to be painful just physically. It was going to break him, body, mind and spirit. And he was heartsick about the step that he needed to take. So how can you avoid bitterness and work towards betterness? Andy Stanley says, what, you, what do you do when your dream can't come true? You can get angry with God, angry with life. You can despair. You can try to make something happen anyway. You can try and live your dream through your kids. I've seen it plenty of times. But at the end of your striving and your manipulating, nothing will have changed. You'll be just as far away from whatever it is you desired. But now you'll be far from God as well. See, the second option is to do what Paul actually did. He writes to his friends in Corinth. He said to, in, um, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded 
with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul had had some amazing things happen to him in his life. His highs were really high, but now he has got a low. He's got a physical ailment that he is going to have to live with for the rest of his life, and it is probably painful, and it certainly keeps him from fulfilling his dreams. So what does he do? He prays fervently. If we're at a place where our dream is not going to come true, our goal, our destination is not going to be reached, we pray fervently. Paul prayed three times. He pleaded with God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, let's just put this in context. Paul is going to God and saying, God, please, please take this away from me. This is Paul, the, the leader of the early church, the creator of the, of the modern mission movement. This is Paul, the guy that met Jesus on the, on the road to um, um, Damascus, and he was changed by, by God in that meeting. This is Paul, the one that was trained by Jesus for three and a half years. You think his prayers would have some weight. You think God would have just jumped to it. Yeah, Paul, I'll do what you ask. Paul is pleading with God three times. Please, please take this away from me. And this is God's answer. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I am enough. The things that I've done for you is enough. And do you know what? My power is made perfect in weakness. And so with the weakness that you have, Paul, I am going to be glorified. So in Paul seeking out God, Paul passionately seeking out God, all of a sudden God is able to do a work in his life that he wasn't able to do before. He was able to say, hey, because this isn't going well, let me show you how good I am. Let me cover up the gap in your life. Let me overcome your weakness with my strength. And as we pray, the third thing we can do, we can listen for God's voice. In the midst of prayer, it is possible to hear God's voice. Now, I'm not talking about God sort of sitting down and, and ringing us on our phone. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, oh, God's calling. Just wait. Hello, God. Um, no, I'm not talking about that, but I'm, as we get into his word, as we walk with God, what happens is we open up our ears, we get spiritual cotton buds and we clean out our ears and all of a sudden God's voice becomes clearer and clearer to us. Things that we didn't hear before all of a sudden become really, really loud. And some of, sometimes we go, God, why didn't you say that before? I have been yelling for years. That is God's response. I have been yelling for years. You just needed to clear out your, your ears a little bit. And so as we come to pray, it puts us in a process of opening us up to God. We are moving away from being bitter, saying, God, the only place I can go is to you, and I'm going to pray. And as I pray and I'm in your presence, I start to hear you. You sense that God is saying, I'm going to stay with you in this. And then you find the good in a bad situation. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, this phrase, when we sit down and fully understand it, is a hard, it's, it's both a hard thing and, a, and a, a great thing to praise God. It's a hard thing because 
every single hurt that you have been through, God can use. When you are in the middle of something so traumatic to you, you go, I do not know how I'm going to get to the other side of this. God is there with you, but God is also saying, I'm going to use this for my glory. I'm going to use this for the good of those who love him. And it's hard for us to understand in the midst of that trial. And some of you may be in the middle of a trial right now and you are going, God, just take this away from me. Take the pain, take the hurt, end this in my life. And God is saying, hey, I can't do that yet, but I'm here with you. Know that this is a true statement I've seen in my life. God will work all things, the good, the bad and the ugly in our lives for the good of those who love him. Paul found a way to believe that God's grace was sufficient for him, that God's power would even be better displayed in his weakness, in his physical infirmities. As he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we get to a point where heart sick. And again, this, that's not a bad step to make. When you finally come to a point where you realize that dream, that goal, that plan that you thought that God was been calling to you all your life, it's not going to happen. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel that pain. But in that, you need to make a choice. Do I get bitter or do I get better? And then we actually, we pray, we seek God out. We listen for his voice. And as we see God at work in and around us, the fourth thing, you, we, you can accept the reality and find the good in it. This is the big step of the path towards betterness. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to 10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the Christ power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, it's God's strength that comes to the fore. When, when I am weak, God is evident in my life. When I am weak, if I am with God, then the testimony of my life is that God is overcoming in my weaknesses and the world will see that. So not only can I glorify God about what he's doing, the world all of a sudden sits up and pays attention to what's happening in my life. But it's in, it's in these places that we do need to make a choice. Do we hang on? to the grief do we hang on to the bitter do we hang on to the loss do we keep pursuing even though it's not going to work are we going to keep chasing that that dream keep chasing that destination or are we going to make a choice to accept reality and find the good in it in doing that all of a sudden our perspective grows. Maybe it's only a little bit. Some of us have a major attitude readjustment and our perspective goes from this to this. And all of a sudden, we can see more of what God is doing. And we, you can use your hardship for God's glory. Now, and some of you might straight away say, going, God, you've got plenty of stuff that brings you glory. Why do you need to use my hardship to do that as well? I agree with you, but God goes, well... I'm worth giving glory to, so we're just going to do it that way sometimes. Like, I, 
it's, it's actually beneficial for us as well. Because when we get to this point where we accept reality, we can find the good in it. We can thank God for, for some of the things that are happening because, happening because of it. And we can actually give God glory in it. Oh, that changes their attitude dramatically about what is happening. Whatever it was Paul had, he determined to use it for God's glory. When Jesus was facing the darkest moment, wrestling with the unreachable destination of staying alive and avoiding the agony of the cross, he chose this option. He said, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet as I will, yet not as I will, but as you will. He accepted the reality, found the good in it, and he determined to use his hardship for God's glory. In this case, for saving mankind. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We spoke about that, that when we realize that we can't get to where we are wanting to get to, it makes our heart sick. Our hope is deferred because we realize that our dreams probably aren't going to come true. We probably aren't going to get married or get married again, or, or at least not for a long time. We probably aren't going to be able to keep our home or keep our job or, or get the promotion we always wanted or the kind of health we assumed that would be ours. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is a reality on earth, friends. Earth is earth. It is not heaven. And Jesus said in Matthew sixteen thirty three, again, one of these great encouraging verses, in this world you will have trouble. Amen. Let's go home. Let's go home on that note. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Not the thing you want to put on the recruiting poster. Follow me because in this world, you will have trouble. It will be difficult. You'll have trials. You'll have hardships. People are going to try and kill you. Who wants to be in? Not me. Someone else can put their hand up first. Yeah, Jesus, are you saying, is it the first person who puts their hand up and gets killed? And the rest of us are safe because I'm going to wait. In this world, you will have trouble. I don't know a single person who has had all their dreams fulfilled. I suspect it wouldn't even be healthy if they did. There's something that, there is something that softens us, something that enables us to admit we are not all that. Something humbling in a positive way about not having all our dreams fulfilled. But consider the the verse that we just read. But notice the but that comes with us. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. While you are alive you're going to have trials. While you are alive there is going to be difficulties. But you need to know. And you need to be encouraged by the fact that I have overcome the world. This is Jesus being encouraging. Let's go back to Joseph. Joseph was heart was sick. He was a slave, a prisoner. One day he's summoned to the Pharaoh and his dreams began to be fulfilled in a way he was never imagining. He became prime minister, saved all of Egypt and his own family from starvation. He saw his brothers bow before him and his father fall to his knees in gratitude to God. And this And that his treasured son was really alive and doing well. Most often God leaves us with a thorn in the flesh, an obstacle or two that we have to learn to trust him with. This can be good in itself. But sometimes, sometimes he does a good thing that is more, 
than, than more than exactly what we wanted. It's beyond what we could have asked or imagined. Sometimes God buries our dreams because they wouldn't be good for us. Have you ever realized that some of your dreams are not going to be good for you? Like you may think that this is the one thing, this will make my life right, but God knows better and he, out of his love for us, he buries that dream so that he can resurrect them to be better things. So what do you do when your hope gets deferred? You get heartsick, you pray fervently, you can listen for God's voice, you can accept the reality and find the good in it, you can use your hardship for God's glory, and you can believe that somewhere along the path, God will do something outrageously good for you. I would have been about, oh, it must have been about 19, 20 years old, probably around 20, and I had finished school. Um, I think I shared a couple of weeks ago, I felt a call to be a pastor and work with young people when I was about grade 11. And so when I, I finished school, I went, oh, do I go to university, get a job, save up to go to Bible college? I went, that doesn't really make sense. That's a long way to do it. So I went, I'll find a job and I'll save up so I can go to Bible college. Now, Again, early on, that meant that, yeah, probably wasn't making a lot of money. And eventually I found a job that I, it was difficult. It was challenging, but I loved the job. I was uh, doing youth work in a shelter and, um, yeah, it had its days. Um, it had some very interesting days, but overall, I loved doing that job. And as I was doing that job about 12 months in, I went, oh, I'm actually making good money. And I'm going, and I started to be pragmatic and practical going, okay, well, the idea was for me to save up for Bible college, but what would be better would be, oh, imagine if I could put my savings aside and I'll get a deposit and I'll buy a house. And that way, and I had it all, all planned out in my head. Like, one, I'll, I'll get an asset. I'll be able to get my friends to come and live with me and they can pay rent, help me pay off my house. Um, and then when I do go to Bible college, which that was still the plan, I can rent my house out and it'll become an income for me as I, as I sort of endeavor to, to, to follow God's call in my life. So I justified across the board and I spent about six months looking at houses. Some were too much for me, some were not enough house for me. And, and so I had a, a real estate agent that would give me a call every now and again. And most often I'd go along with my parents, my dad, for a, a sort of a, a practical sort of going, is there anything wrong about this house I need to be aware of? And eventually I, I saw a house and went, and I rang my real estate, can you get us through this one? And so I went around and had a look. It was, a great little little place, um, remote control garage door. At that time, I've never had anything like that. And I, the dreams of owning this house sort of welled up and we went, do you know what? I could imagine coming home from my, my job at 11 o'clock at night, pressing the remote control garage door and just driving in, shutting the door behind me, going into the house. No getting out of the car, lifting up the door, driving in, putting the door back down. I, I could imagine like my friends sort of renting in different areas. I imagine having a guest room because it was a four bedroom house. I went, oh, and also because I was a young man at the time and I would have had mates living with me, let's designate one whole room, a games room. Let's have ping pong tables and, and computer games. And there was no Xboxes back then. Like, um, it was like, um, none of that stuff was around yet, but that was, was the dream that was becoming. And in the end, I put an offer in it and they accepted. I mean, this is awesome. And, 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 and still I kind of justify going, God, this is, this is me doing, being obedient to your call because this is going to help me go to Bible college. 
But what I didn't realize at the time, it was starting to push Bible college further down the track. Me being a pastor further down the track. Because I would have had to at least work for probably another four or five years to sort of be confident to, to leave the house and rent it out or sell it or do something. And so all of a sudden I extended that time while I was waiting for the finances to go through. We had a meeting, uh, I had a meeting at work that I missed and I had to sort of go in and see my bosses at work and they said, I'm just letting you know that the um, funding for our program has been cut. I was like, okay. Um, and then they sort of said, but we've got other funding coming through um, and we're going to start up a new program and um, we really want you to come on board. And I said, can you guarantee me that job now? I said, no, we can't. I said, oh, that means I've got my finances going to go through. And, and all of a sudden, just in a heartbeat, this dream of owning this house, the dreams of driving my car into this remote control garage, the dreams of having a games room, the dreams of, of, of having that in my house. And even after I, I left Toowoomba, I occasionally drove past that house going, that could have been mine. But it wasn't too long. It, it didn't take me too long in, in the first instance to realize something that God had done. I'd saved up a deposit for a house and all of a sudden I had money there. I didn't have a job to keep me in Toowoomba and all of a sudden God says, well, the time to go to Bible college is now. God reaffirmed that as I kind of went, sort of shifted my focus and shifted my perspective and, and all of a sudden like I realized that a good pastor friend of mine was like on the south side of Brisbane where my Bible college was. So I connected with him and, and sort of went, okay, well, that's where I'm going to end up. And, and all those things sort of kind of fell into place. And that alone would have been enough for me to praise God, saying, God enabled me to dream this dream, follow this path, and then cut it off. And it led me to be free to, to follow his call in my life. That would have been enough. But there was a bigger thing that happened. Because God's provision went even further. When I first lived in Brisbane, I was less than 10 minutes away from the Bible College at Tuong. But just around the corner, there was a little primary school known as Kenmore South. Like it was literally a two-minute drive for me to get there when I first lived in Brisbane. Um, and that I actually worked in that job most of the time I was in Brisbane, not all the whole time, but most of And so God, it was an extra way that God provided for me. I worked part-time for the church. I worked part-time in this job. And so, again, God's provision for me, putting me in the right place at the right time. But there was, during my time uh, in Brisbane, this one thing has been, had another major significance for me. It's where I met Elizabeth. And she has made pay, played a major part in my life from that point in time. And so as I look back, like I had a dream of buying a house and moving in there and living there and, and, and getting a bit of wealth behind me and feeling secure in, in that. And all of a sudden, God cut that dream off and let another one come in its place. And oh, I got me to Bible college. Thank God for that. Praise God for that. I couldn't see what else he was bringing along my pathway. I couldn't see what else he was doing. And as I said... Like Elizabeth and I have journeyed together um, for, for many years and as we have teamed together to raise a family, to follow God, to, to learn about God together, to face challenges together, 
challenges like, and even in my own faith, my own faith has grown as I've, I've been married and as I've had kids because God has expanded that in me. God knew what he was doing. As much as I can sort of say, oh, that, that plan that I had was awesome, God was preparing me for something better. See, God loves you and he wants to bless you. He wants you to experience joy and he knows you need hope. So let me finish here. What do you do when your longing is fulfilled? What do you do when you get to the point where, where God has done something outrageously good for you? Well, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. They disobeyed God and lost their chance to enter the promised land. Their dream was dead, could put nothing going further. Then one day God said to Joshua, let's resurrect that dream. Line the people up tomorrow and we will cross the Jordan River. There would have been, you imagine you're a 19-year-old in that camp. So you weren't, you weren't one of the people that weren't going to, you were going to enter the promised land, but you had to wait 40 years to do it. It would, it would have been better off if you were born in like year 35. So you would have been five and you got to go into land and go, none of this other stuff ever happened. But you, if you were 19, you spent 40 years in the desert and all of a sudden this day came where God gave the instruction to Joshua, let's go and cross the Jordan. So when your longing is fulfilled, you make sure people hear that story. The Israelites stacked up some rocks so that whenever anyone saw them, they would say, what is that about? And they would reply, that is when God showed up. Let me tell you his story. They built what they call an Ebenezer, a stone of a memorial or a stones of, or a rock sort of a memorial so that the people would remember what God had done. And the same is important for us to do. When, when we go down this pathway and this dream, this, this destination is unreachable and God stops us and, and we are able to grieve through that process, we are able to pray, we are able to come back to him, we are able to see the good in that situation, we can see what God is doing and give him glory for it, all of a sudden God redirects us into something that he desires for us in great and mighty ways. Think for a minute. How many of you have had a story of when God showed up and fulfilled the longing of your heart? Some of you are sitting um, next to someone who has been through that today. Some of you live in it right now. Some of you bear the scars of it. For some of you, you are in your promised land right now. Some of you are waiting for it to happen. You're waiting for that outrageously good to come. You may have been hurt in the, this year, in the last few years. You may have, your, your plans may have changed so dramatically that you go, God, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know what you're doing right now. I challenge you, come back to him. Seek him, pour your heart out to him. Let his voice speak to your heart. And you will see the good that is happening in our lives. You will see God at work around you. You will see God glorified. And there will come a time when the outrageously good will happen in your life. And at that point of time, I want you to shout. I want you to yippee. I want you to declare how God is good and say, he has brought me to this moment. So this week, 
Maybe you're at a point where you are working through steps of disappointment. Pray. Grieve. Listen for God's voice. Look for promises he gives you. Look and know that God is present with you. And as you move to one of those moments of outrageous joy and goodness that God has shown you, remember that time and lift it up. Maybe there's times that's happened for you already. Write it down in a journal. Praise God for that. Thank God for that. Share that with someone else this week. This is what my God has done for me. Be an encouragement to someone else. God never leaves us when we don't reach the destination that we desire. He remains present with us the whole time. And at times he will redirect us onto another path. Again, he is glorified in that. But always when we know the presence of God, we will know the goodness of God in our lives. So I challenge you, no matter where you are on your path today, continue seeking him and walking with him in obedience and you will know the joy of the Lord in your heart. Let's just pray. Well, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you that even in our disappointments, we can know your victory, your overcoming, your, your joy, your peace, your presence. Um, sometimes our, our journey is directed uh, askew because of our own mistakes. And so, Lord, we, we confess those. Sometimes they, they do become unfixable. But I, I pray that in that, that we would, we would give that to you. We would, again, see the good in it and give you glory through it. Lord, I do pray for those who are waiting for a moment of outrageous good and joy in their life. Bring it quickly, Lord. As they come to know you, may you just show who you are to them. Lord, let us be willing to move on from those things that are unreachable in our lives so that we can move into the good that you have for us. Let us move from being bitter to better, Lord. And again, in so doing, our lives will be a glorifying testimony to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. 